Here we are. We, this is every February for the last five years. We've done a series about uh, the gospel in our country coming here in the 1800s. It's a series that we call Aotearoa. Aotearoa. And it's about looking back to move forward. And we've got this rich history. It's beautiful. The way that the Holy Spirit moved in this country and, and, and to see this revival that took place um, amongst the Maori people, it's really encouraging. But it's also steeped with pain and heartache, and it's all mixed together. And because of this, the heartache that's been mixed in there, sometimes we just like put a blanket over it to pretend it didn't happen. Um, but, but when we do that, we lose the power of the testimony. And so our series, Aotearoa, is looking back and celebrating, but also recognizing the pain that came with it as well. And, um, and so today I'm going to be talking about the Treaty of Waitangi. Te Tiriti o Waitangi. That's the title of our message. It's the, the Te Tiriti o Waitangi is the, is the Maori name for the version of the, uh, of the treaty that was signed all those years ago. And, and so, you know, my family, my family, I, I'm, um, my, my family is, my dad's side is Pākehā. My mum's side is Cook Island. Cook Island. And so my dad's family, they arrived here in the late 1800s on a boat, uh, on a ship called, one of them was the Soka. And on my mum's family, they arrived here on a ship in the 70s called Air New Zealand. Um, so different kind of ships, but they came here at that time. And so like, I'm, I'm really proud of, of being both, both of my, of my Pākehā side and my Cook Island side. And if I was on ice cream, I'd be cookies and cream. Cookies and cream, right? It's the, I'm the, best, it's the best of both worlds. That's what I like to say about that. And so, and so when it came to, to the, the Treaty of Waitangi, and I remember... Back in the 90s, I grew up as a teenager in the 90s. Anybody up grow up, grow up as a teenager in the 90s? Yeah, that's kind of like the forgotten years. Nobody just, that just looks past. But that was the time of MC Hammer. Can't touch this. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, I'll just carry on. Those are the days. And so, but I remember watching on TV, and there'll be like protests about the Treaty of Waitangi. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, can't, surely we could have gotten over it by now. God. And, and, and today on our news, we're, it's, 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 we said it. In that same trap, like, really? Especially if, if, we are, if we don't really know what's going on. We're like, oh, really? Can't we just move on? And I was exactly in that place back in the early 90s. And, and, but if I was honest with myself, I was really ignorant of, of what was really going on because I didn't, I didn't look to understand. And, you know, when you have a disagreement with someone, we don't choose to understand your point of view because we all have a point of view, Right? And we, we, we choose to hold on to our point of views, and we think our point of views are right. After all, they're our point of view. They're our own perspective. And sometimes, you know, and when it comes to someone else, it goes a long way when we, when we sit down and we begin to see something from their point of view, their perspective. I always say this, like if I, if I do the number six on the ground, and I, and I say, this is number six, and you look at it and you go, that's number nine. Who's right? We're both right. But we have different perspectives. And sometimes all it takes is for us to come around and have a look and see from their point of view. Whenever you get to find yourself in a disagreement, stop and learn to develop something called empathy. It will go a long way to understand. So we're going to be looking at the uh, te tiriti or waitangi. Just having a look, make sure that I spelt it right this, this service. Uh, te tiriti or waitangi. The Treaty of Waitangi. It's our founding document. It's beautiful. Māori are tangata whenua. They're the people of the land. And non-Māori are tangata tiriti. Those who belong to the land by right of the treaty. 
So if, you've, if, 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 you've, if your ancestry, you've come here from another country, guess what? You belong here because of the treaty. This is your identity. If you've just arrived here and now you call this country home, guess what? You belong here because of the treaty. You're tangata tariti. That's who we are. And that's what this treaty is beautiful. It's amazing. It's incredible. And, 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 and that's why it's an important founding document of our country. It's beautiful. The Treaty of Waitangi is unique in the world. There are, there's no treaty like it. Because it truly is a bicultural agreement between the Maori people and the British Crown, recognizing the rights and interests of both parties. This is distinct to many other treaties in the world. When you have a look at some of these historical treaties, so different. Because often when you read some of these treaties, especially the treaties in America between the, with them and the Native Americans or wherever you are, quite often it's the colonial power imposing themselves with their, with their terms upon the indigenous people, quite often at the detriment of the people. But however, this was totally different. This wasn't that at all. This is why this treaty is unique. It's beautiful. This treaty needs to be protected. It's incredible. So Te Tiritu Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, takes its name from the place in the Bay of Islands where it was first signed on the 6th of February, 1840. The treaty is a covenant agreement between, between the British Crown and about 540 Maori rangatira, uh, rangatira, 540 chiefs. You know, when, when, when Maori agreed to share this land, when they agreed to share the land, um, they were the majority, 99%. And only 1% of non-Maori lived there at that time. But yet they chose, the 99% chose to share this land with the 1%. Very generous. Very, very generous. But the question is, is this, why? Why? 99% choose to share with the 1%. Why? And it's really about the issue was lawlessness and disorder of all those coming here, all the colonists coming. There's a lot of law and disorder going on. They, they did whatever they want, and there was no one to stop them. They just, they just did it. And, and the fact the missionaries would go on to describe them as the scourge of the Pacific. The scourge of the Pacific. That's a nice name to be described, right? And, and a man by the name of Edward Wakefield illegally sold land in the Wellington region and the top of the South Island to colonists in England that he didn't even own. He'll go and sell off all this land and say, hey, this, come, I've got this beautiful land. You're going to arrive. The houses are built. There's streets. There's roads. It's going to be, he, he owned none of that land, and he was selling it off for profit. right? And so this, this is what was going on. And, and, and this is why this, the treaty came about. It was, it, was, it, was about. it was coming about to protect Maori, Maori interests. And, they were, and in fact, in the Maori politi- political order, rangatira were responsible to and for their own hapu, for their own people. Therefore, the queen is responsible for her hapu, for her subjects. And, and that's the reason of the treaty. In fact, um, Paul Moon, Paul Moon is, is, a, um, is a historian and a contemporary historian. And he has a, there's a discussion between him and Keith Newman, who is a Christian historian. And Keith Newman wrote the book, um, The Bible and the Treaty, Beyond, the other book, Beyond and Betrayal. He's got a new book out called Ratana. He writes this, and there's this, this discussion. In fact, Paul Moon goes on to say that Britain wanted full sovereignty over its own people throughout the entire territory of this country. And they were happy to leave Māori to, to maintain full sovereignty over themselves. And quite frankly, no chief in their right mind would have surrendered their sovereignty. In fact, not one did. Okay, this is, this is, historic, this is uh, historian 
Paul Moon, who's, who's well-respected, and he teaches at the Auckland University on history. In, 1840, in fact, in 1843 was one of the last times that the British government confirmed that apart from serious crimes such as murder, Māori and col- colonial justice system will be kept separate. That was the last, that was the last official thing. No, we'll keep, continue to keep it se- separate. We'll continue honoring this treaty. So if you read the treaty, and so I'm going to read out the treaty to you. It's the Te uh, Tiriti or Waitangi, the Māori version, but I'm, I'm going to read it in plain English because I'm a simple person. So I'm going to read it out. Here it is. So let's go through this treaty. Here it is. The introduction, the preamble. This is it. The queen wants, wants people to keep their land and independence, and she wants all the people to live together in peace. This agreement is to make a government for her people who are now in New Zealand and those who will come in the future. The preamble. And we go into the, to the first. And the first goes like this. The chiefs give to the Queen of England the right to have a government in New Zealand. Okay, so that so so the queen so they they allow the queen come up and set up a government. You can come and set a government here in these lands. Second, the queen agrees that Maori keep their independence and keep control over their lands and everything that is important to them. Their tonga tonga is more than just land. Tonga is what's special to them: language, culture. Uh, uh, they give to the queen the right to buy the land if they want to sell it. And the third is this: the queen gives Maori people the same rights as British. People. Now, the fourth article is debatable because you won't find the fourth article in the Crown's English version uh, because there was a discussion held between uh, Hobson and, um, and, and, and the Catholic Bishop Pompelia about this whole thing of religion. And, it was, and Colenso, he, began, he writes it on to the, in, in Maori on the Te uh, Tiriti or Waitangi on that copy. And, and basically, the fourth article is this. The governor promises to protect Maori customs in all the different religions in New Zealand. Okay, so that's the treaty in plain English, okay? And that's probably the quickest way you're going to read this if, when you go through all the different words. Now, the, hear me out here. The intentions of the crown truly were righteous. They, were, they truly did want to do right by Māori to establish a government over, over the British settlers for the protection of Māori. Okay, this is, was the intent, okay? And they, they, do, they did want to treat them and say, look, you, you guys have your sovereignty. We're here to set up a government. Look up, and we want to protect you from all the guys like Wakefield and things like that. And, and, and that was the original intent. But that all changed when Governor George Gray arrived in late 1845. It all changed. In fact, when Governor George Gray arrived, he, he took the treaty and he just got rid of it, pretended it didn't exist. And that was the beginning of the breaches of all, of all the treaty where, where land was illegally confiscated and the people began to be marginalized. So it wasn't the treaty that brought in the negatives of colonization, but it was the doing away of it. And that's why the treaty is so important. That's why the treaty is, is a beautiful. It's beautiful and, and it's amazing. Um, in recent years, as a nation, we've done really, really well to... to to, to right some of the wrongs that happened in the past. But lately, there's been unnecessary tension in the media, unnecessary tension over the treaty. You know, we have this beautiful treaty, and now I'm going to... I've been trying to be objective here and try to be looking at history. Now I'm going to be subjective here, and I'm just going to give my own opinion. So I'm giving my own opinion, so now you can just go to sleep, switch off, think about what you're going to have for lunch afterwards, whatever it is. Okay, so basically... 
I'm being very, so you, you can just ignore this, throw this in rubbish, it doesn't matter. I'm being subjective. See, I welcome a discussion on treaty principles, but not reframing the treaty and its original intent. I welcome the discussion. Let's have a discussion. But hey, but not reframing the treaty, not, not changing the original intent, it's beautiful. But we all belong here because of the treaty. It's beautiful. And so I'm going to step back into trying to be objective here, and let's get into, into Scripture, and arguably that could be still subjective, but let's get into this. In the Bible, we find tension like this in the early church. There was tension like this in the early church, tension between the Jewish followers of Jesus and the Gentile followers of Jesus. Lots of tension. In fact, very got very racial. The lines started to be drawn because the early church, the first followers of Jesus were Jewish. The first followers of Jesus, and they, they observed the Sabbath, which was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. They ate kosher food, meaning no bacon, right? Anybody love bacon? Well, the Jewish followers of Jesus didn't eat, eat bacon. They, were, they followed the covenants given by, uh, by God to Moses at Mount Sinai. They, they, were, um, they, were, they, were, they were followers of, of, of the way. But what, we, what started to happen was um, um, that as the believers in Jerusalem began to spread because of the persecution, they would take the gospel with them. And, and, and all of a sudden, the gospel started to spread around the world. And these Jewish followers of Jesus took the gospel message to Rome. And all of a sudden, these Romans were being converted to Christianity. And they were finding Jesus, being set free. But then all of a sudden, uh, Emperor Claudius expels all the Jews from Rome in around 49 AD. So you can imagine these guys, they're setting up the churches, people coming to Jesus. Now they're being kicked out. And these house churches are left on their own. They're left on their own. And then now Claudius dies in and and, and around 54 AD and they start coming back. And this is where the problem starts happening. Because when they start coming back, all of a sudden, when they come to the love feast, the love feast is what's known as communion on a Sunday. So on, on Sundays they would come and they'll celebrate Jesus. So meeting on a Sunday, it's been happening since day one. They'll come and celebrate on Jesus. And they'll come to these love feasts. And then what they find on the table, they'll find lamb and ham on the same table. And they're like, that's blasphemy. How can you have ham and lamb on the same table? It's the silence of the lambs. And so, and so, and so this teaching starts happening within the, in these lines. And, 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 they're not, and they're not following Sabbath. They're not respecting the Sabbath. They're just meeting on a Sunday. And so all of a sudden, this, this tension starts happening within the early church. So the Apostle Paul begins to, to address this to, um, to the Romans in the Book of Romans. And the Book of Romans is a theological masterpiece. And he begins to see, he sees this in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Accept other believers who are weak in the faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it is right to eat anything. Could I have it? Um, some more pork, please. But another believer with sensitive conscience will, will eat only vegetables. Coming to the love feast and, and seeing this pork and ham on the same table, go, you know what? I'm just going to eat the vegetables. I'm not eating that because that's non-kosher. Verse 3, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Whether you eat kosher or not kosher. Have some more ham. But if you don't want to have a ham, that's okay. Let me respect you. Because you're serving the Lord the way you want to. Because in the Old Testament, God makes this covenant with Israel, with ancient Israelites. And part of their conditions was they couldn't eat pork. But now they're finding pork mixed with lamb. Verse 4. 
Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. So this massive disagreement, it's turning bitter. It's turning really bitter. And we miss it in these texts, but it's getting very racial. Racial lines are being, taught, are being put in place. That's what's happening. It's getting very, so there's this tension around about people groups start to happen. And we miss it in, in, in these writings. And, and, and what's happening now is these Roman Christians are looking down on their Jewish, on, on the Jewish followers of Jesus. They look, they, they're looking down on them as secondhand citizens. Verse 5, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, Sabbath. Well, others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced what each day, whichever day you choose to, is acceptable. So he's writing to these Christians in Rome who are mostly non-Jewish. And, 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 he's, and he's just saying, hey, don't judge someone else. Christ has accepted you. Because in Acts chapter 15, when, if you read Acts chapter 15, there's a discussion that takes place in Jerusalem. And the decision is made that the Gentiles do not have to follow the Jewish customs. They don't have to follow these, these things because it had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And he fulfills it like, like eating non-kosher meat, foods, um, and also not observing the Sabbath. It's okay. Because Jesus fulfilled that. Because the Sabbath, the Sabbath, remember what the, the Sabbath was given. The Sabbath was given that, that one day, one day was a reminder that one day that humanity will step into the seventh day rest again with God. One day it's going to come where we have this opportunity to step into the seventh day rest. Jesus came. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And now we can step into the seventh day rest right now, right here. It's what we call the now and not yet. And that's another discussion. And so, and, so, and so now we've got these guys, these, these, Christ, these non-Jewish, these non-Jewish um, Christians looking down on their Jewish brothers and sisters and saying, man, you guys are stuck in the past. Get over it, surely. Surely you could have sorted this out by now. You're still looking back. Come on, we're more superior than you. With the enlightened ones of Rome. Look, because we, we're, more, we're more wise and you're stuck in those old ways. This is what was happening. These racial tensions, does that kind of sound familiar? But anyway, let's keep reading. Verse 10, let's go down to verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. It's not about conforming. Come on, with enlightened ones, you now need to conform to me. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Well, stop being Jewish. That's basically what they were saying. To be a follower of Jesus, stop being Jewish. Leave your culture at the door. And Paul's like, excuse me? What's going on here? These racial lines are being torn. Romans 15 verse 1, Paul calls them the strong. Calls them the strong. Meaning those who have strong social status, who look down on, on, on who are looking down at their brothers and sisters as, as, as second-rate citizens of heaven. Oh, you're the second, you're stuck in the past. Second-rate, you know, you just need to embrace. Just embrace what we're doing. Then you'll be so much better off. Right? Just get rid of all that. And then you can become first class citizens. Basically, this is this is what's going on. It's it's what's what's happening. And 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 and, and so and so he's writing to these Gentiles and, and he's saying, Hey, look, the Jewish Messiah accepted you. It's like, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is Jewish. He's Jewish. 
Have you forgotten he's Jewish? And this Jewish Messiah accepted you. So you darn right should be accepting your Jewish brothers and sisters. This is what you need to be doing. We need to celebrate the diversities. We need to celebrate the diversities of our cultures. Culture is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Cookies and cream. It's not about conformity, but it's about come as you are. Come as you are. And he begins to describe the two people groups coming together like grafting into an olive tree. When we read in Romans eleven seventeen, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the roots of God's special olive tree. Verse 18, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. Stop being arrogant. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. See, you have not replaced God's chosen people, but you have been grafted in. You have been grafted in. Stop saying you're stuck in the past. Stop saying keep up with the times. In fact, there are people still in the church today who go on to say that the church has replaced Israel. You can still see that today. The church has not replaced Israel. We've been grafted in. We've been grafted in. We don't support the root. This root supports us. And that's exactly what was happening during the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. Non-Māori were being grafted in. But, but I wonder, I wonder if, we, if we are falling into the trap of verse 18. Do not consider yourself to be superior to the other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us today? It means this. Do not let disagreement lead you to hate. Do not let disagreements lead you to hate. And I'm not just talking about the treaty. I'm talking about every, all areas in your life, every relationship in your life. Have you had a disagreement with someone? Maybe you had a disagreement with someone this week. But if you're not careful, if you, if you, if you let an offense seep into your heart, it turns into bitterness. Something that started off small. And there are issues today. You still, since people in here still have issues with their children, with their spouse, or husband and wife. Because this disagreement has turned into bitterness and it's seeped in. And it's seeped in. And when offense and bitterness seep in, you know why it seeps in? Because we're not aware of it. And when we're not aware of it, we let it take control of us. I've seen too many marriages being destroyed because of this. I've seen too many good relationships between father and sons being destroyed, mothers and daughters, your neighbors and friends. I've seen too many people unfriend each other on Facebook. The ultimate form. But when we are aware, and we need to be aware, when we are aware of it, that's when we speak into our lives about the love of Jesus. Because we tend to move towards an offense when someone disagrees with us. You disagree with me? Well, I don't just not like you. I hate you. You got a different point of view of me? How do you have a different point of view? That's it. I cut you off. 
Oh, come on. I may be disagreeing with this person at the moment, but I will let love be my motivator. And I will love this person regardless. And if someone hates you because they disagreed with you, continue to love them regardless. Let love be your motivator. I mean, do you, do you hate anybody? I'm, I'm talking to you now. If you're watching online, I'm talking to you too. Like, do you hate anybody? Okay, maybe, maybe hate's a strong word. Do you dislike someone? Do you really dislike someone? Like you haven't spoken to them? And if, and if you do, let me ask you this question. Can you love them? Can you love them? What would it take for you to love them? I know what it will take for me because I've been there before. It's me coming before God and saying, God, I need your love in my heart right now because this is tough. I felt like I've been betrayed. I felt like all things have... But Lord, my heart is getting full of bitterness and I need to be filled with your love because perfect love tries out all fear. Let love be your motive. I'm going to ask the team if they can hand out the emblems for communion. We're going to do communion soon. But over a week ago, the Kingi Tonga caught a hui to, to rally around the treaty, this beautiful treaty. Over 10,000 people turned up. Over 10,000 people. Wow. Māori coming together in unity. Not just, this was a non-Māori there too. It was beautiful. Now, that when the hui ended, it ended with the, with the Anglican minister giving the last word, and he ended with this. He ended with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. He says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It, this is a tough one. Right? It's tough for a lot of us in this room. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always persevere. Someone in this room, you need to know something. You need to persevere. Don't stop. Don't give up. Quitting is easy, but love is hard. Our choices, they free us or they imprison us. Your choices will either free you or imprison you. You can choose to love or you can choose to fear. You have the power to choose. Love liberates, fear imprisons. You know, when, when, when Māori agreed to share this land, they were the majority, 99%. Today, Māori make up 
of our population. 17% of the population. Let me just ask you this question. It's again, very subjective. If it was put to a vote to remove Māori from the treaty in the name of multiculturalism, I wonder if we as a nation will act in a righteous way to do right by towards Māori. Will we, be, will we be as generous as they were when they held the majority? Let love be your motivator.